0: The C.S. Lewis Podcast
1: with Alistair McGrath.
0: You are listening to the second ever episode of the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over this first series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as stories, suffering and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis Podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis a Life, which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag CS Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and include a link to our website cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we will be looking particularly at what C.S. Lewis thinks about friendship. Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to be talking today about what C.S. Lewis thought about friendship and some of the key friendships in his life. Now, this might be hard to summarise in one sentence, but what what would uh, would C.S. Lewis have said that friendship was in one sentence if he had to whittle it down?
1: Well, first of all, it is very important. (laughs) Uh, And secondly, I mean, friendship really is about um, a shared love for something in which um, it's not just to enjoy being with a person, it's that they they can talk about something that really matters to you as well. So we're looking at the inklings, we're looking at Lewis having relationships which were, you know, they were friends, but they also felt they were helping each other grow in their understanding or deepen their faith. So for Lewis, it's a really important part of
0: life. You mentioned the inklings there. We're going to come back to those in a minute. But who were some of C.S. Lewis's closest friends over the course of his life?
1: Well, I think the, the friend who we need to begin with, really, is um, Arthur Greaves, who he knew uh, as a teenager in Belfast. And Lewis then was the quite an aggressive atheist. Arthur Greaves was a Christian who found it difficult to deal with Lewis's aggressive questions, but nevertheless maintained his faith in the face of those questions. And Lewis was very impressed by that. Not persuaded, but impressed. <laughs> And so they kept him in touch over the course of his life. And um, that's very, very important because in his letters to Arthur Greaves, Lewis discloses his growing interest in Christianity. So clearly, he had to have someone he could say these sort of things to. And those letters to Arthur Greaves are really helpful in understanding how Lewis's faith developed.
0: What about some of the other friendships? So Arthur, they knew each other for a long time and obviously stayed in touch throughout the whole of Lewis's life. What about some of his friends that he met at Oxford and then later when he was lecturing?
1: Well, at Oxford, um, while an undergraduate, Lewis made some friends, and one of the most interesting of these is Owen Barfield. At this time, uh, Lewis was at University College, Barfield was at Wadham, but they they talked about lots of things, and Barfield really challenged Lewis's atheism and helped him to see it was much less intellectually robust, and he realized. If you like, Barfield's one of these people who planted the seeds of doubt in Lewis's mind. But Lewis was drawn to him because he was clearly so intelligent. He clearly enjoyed thinking. He read literature. And Lewis felt drawn to him because they had shared interests, but at the same time they had differences, which made him really, really interesting. And Barfield and Lewis remained friends for the rest of his life. In fact, Barfield eventually became a solicitor and was the executor of Lewis's will.
0: And Paddy Moore was one of the friends that he made as an undergrad, is that right?
1: Paddy Moore was um, someone who Lewis got to know um, when he was training for service in the British Army in 1917. And they met at Keeble College, which was then a, a cadet camp um, training base. Uh, and uh, they they really hit it off very, very well because they were both Irish And Lewis was very, very proud of his Irish roots. He really was drawn to Paddy and also got to know his family, his uh, sister and his mother, who came to Oxford to support Paddy Moore during that time. The friendship really was very short-lived because Paddy Moore was killed months later. But that was a very intense, very significant friendship while it lasted.
0: And that obviously had an impact in that we'll, we'll come to this at some point, I'm sure. But he then ended up living with Mrs. Moore and, and, and Paddy's sister, Maureen, didn't he?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, this is one of these very interesting um, aspects of Lewis's life, which we don't really understand very well. Um, Lewis, of course, lost his mother as a, a young boy. So he had a widowed father. Um, Paddy Moore had a mother who was divorced, and they seem to have arrived at some kind of pact that if one of them did not survive the war and the other did, then the one who survived would look after the remaining parent of the other. And so when Paddy Moore was killed, Lewis seems to have felt under some kind of obligation to look after Mrs. Moore and Maureen. And we'll talk more about that later, but that is a really interesting relationship because Mrs. Moore, in many ways, was kind of a surrogate mother to Lewis and, in my view, really helped him to grow significantly as a person.
0: Now, let's have a talk about the Inklings, because some of the people who were in the Inklings, like uh, J.R. Tolkien, were incredibly significant um, to C.S. Lewis. Tell us a little bit about who were the Inklings, what did they do, where did that name come from?
1: Well, the Inklings were a group of male dons at Oxford and one or two other people who came in and joined them occasionally. for example, um, Warney Lewis, Lewis's brother. And basically they were Christians who were interested in literature and the topics of their conversation were Christianity and literature. And one of the things they would do is to discuss writing projects. So they met twice a week. They met on Tuesdays at lunchtime in the Eagle and Child, which is a purely social occasion. They would, in effect, enjoy each other's company. That's what friendship's all about. The Eagle and
0: but Child is a pub in Oxford, isn't it? It's a pub
1: in Oxford, very well-known pub in Oxford, and all, on all the C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien tourist routes. <laughs> but um, they met on Tuesday just to have a good time. But on Thursday evenings, they met in Lewis's room in Malden College to talk about works they were writing. And this was very, very significant because um, Tolkien would try out some of his Lord of the Rings stuff um, Lewis would try out some of his stuff. And, of course, when Charles Williams joined the group and during the Second World War, he would talk about some of the works he was writing. So, in effect, it was not just a shared interest in literature. It was a group of critical friends who would assess each other and who would, in effect, help each other to write better works. And that's a very important point because it brings home to us the importance of having critical friends. And Lewis really valued that. People who were on his side but nevertheless felt you can do better than this and maybe you can do it like this. So the Inklings as a group were really very important indeed, almost like a support group for Lewis, Tolkien and others.
0: And you've spoken on many occasions about the fact that without Lewis, it's unlikely that the Lord of the Rings would look the way it does now. And, and conversely, that's the same is true as well, that without Tolkien, Narnia may not have got to the place that it is. So they were clearly incredibly significant for each other in terms of literature.
1: Well, that's right. And the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis is, I think, one of the most significant. Um, it began uh, in 1925 when Lewis was appointed to a fellowship in English language and literature at uh, Malden College, and that meant he became a member of the English faculty at Oxford University. And at his first faculty meeting, he met J.R. Tolkien, who he, he didn't really take to, but <laughs> nevertheless he felt was intriguing. And they got on, and gradually the friendship began to grow, and then Tolkien began to share some of his writing projects and asked if Lewis would be kind enough to read some of his stuff, and Lewis read it and liked it. And of course, as we look at it, this is kind of Lord of the Rings stuff, mm. you know. And, we, and you begin to realize that actually Tolkien was looking not simply for feedback but for affirmation mm. this is worth doing. And actually, Tolkien in a very late letter said, Look, for many years I had only one reader, <laughs> and it was, it was C.S. Lewis, and he gave me encouragement to keep going, and that was so important. And of course, Tolkien helped. Lewis um, with, um, for example, the uh, Narnia Chronicles, even though I think Tolkien had misgivings about them. For example, <laughs> why did Father Christmas appear? It didn't really make sense. But nevertheless, <laughs> he encouraged Lewis to, in effect, develop these fantasy novels because these were ways of speaking deep truths in a language that ordinary people could understand.
0: Now, let's stick with that friendship with Tolkien and C.S. Lewis for a moment, because it wasn't just literature that they talked about and critiqued and and shared. Tolkien was incredibly significant in C.S. Lewis's faith journey, wasn't he?
1: He was. Lewis's faith journey really moved from atheism to belief that there is a God to Christianity. And Lewis seems to have got from atheism to believing that there is a God without Tolkien's help. But Lewis hit lots of roadblocks. For example, okay, there's a God. Where does Jesus Christ come into this? Um, the Gospels tell a story. Well, why do they need to tell a story? I mean, if God is God, well, that not anything else that needs to be said? And in September 1931, uh, Lewis and Tolkien and a friend, Hugo Dyson, went for a long walk in the gardens of Morden College. And they walked round and round again. Uh, as the evening settled in, and they kept talking. And what they kept talking about was the role of myth. Now, for most of us, the word myth means something that's not true, mm. a kind of devised or invented story. But for Tolkien, a myth is something that takes the form of a story and captures the imagination, but also is able to convey truth about our world. And for Tolkien... Um, we are almost designed by God to tell stories. And Tolkien began to help Lewis see that really Christianity told a story, the story of God, the story of Christ, our story. And Lewis suddenly began to realise how everything Hung together, how everything made sense, and that if he thought of Christianity as a story, a true myth, which makes sense of every other story we tell, then that makes perfect sense. And he writes to Arthur Greaves in enormous excitement. <laughs> this is it. I've discovered it. it it's right. It's exciting. And that's a very important point. And maybe Lewis might have got there on his own, but actually Tolkien was the catalyst. And Tolkien actually puts that approach to very good use in many of his own writings. But of course, it's Lewis who really saw its apologetic potential and developed that greatly in his writings.
0: We're going to talk a bit more about C.S. Lewis's view of fiction uh, later. But, But as you touch on there, Alistair, Story was clearly such an important thing for both Tolkien and for C.S. Lewis. Do you think part of that conversation and that encounter that Lewis had in the gardens of Magdalene was the the catalyst for him writing about Narnia?
1: I'm sure it played into that. Um, There's more, I'm sure, going on as well. But I think Lewis began to realise, you know, if, as Tolkien is saying, we are hardwired to tell stories and those stories reflect the nature and being of God, then why shouldn't he tell stories to kind of way help people understand more about what God is like? But I think that one of the things that you see in Lewis is a realization that there are other writers like H.G. Wells who are telling stories, which have this very strange message of sort of a vague evolutionary optimism. And Lewis found himself reading H.G. Wells and saying, well, I love the stories, but the message is awful. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't I use stories as a way of communicating a more powerful Realistic method. And Lewis's Ransom trilogy, in which he, in effect, uh, this very wonderful collection of Perilandra, Other of the Silent Planet, that hideous strength, is actually using H.G. Wells's medium of story but to tell a Christian story about the nature of human beings. So I think in one sense that's preparing the way for Narnia as Lewis began to appreciate you could tell a story to convey a message by capturing the imagination. And then he deploys that, I think, to much greater effect in the Chronicles of Narnia.
0: And I suppose every friendship will have the odd argument, the butting of heads where people disagree with each other, that kind of thing. But I suppose it's one thing to have the odd argument. It's quite another to have a fairly turbulent relationship. Was was there anyone with whom C.S. Lewis really fell out with or had that kind of wrestling that, that never really reconciled itself?
1: Well, Lewis and Tolkien do seem to have gone through a difficult patch in their friendship during the 1940s, and I think part of it is the arrival of Charles Williams in Oxford. Charles Williams, a very well-known poet and novelist who worked for Oxford University Press, then based in London, and he was evacuated to Oxford during the war and joined the Inklings and very quickly became Lewis's sidekick whereas it used to be Tolkien, and Tolkien actually felt he was being kind of way, you know, moved out of Lewis's intimate circle. and he, he resented that, I have to say. And also, another, another complication arose when um, Tolkien read The Chronicles of Narnia and thought, Hav- haven't I seen some of these ideas before? <laughs> you know, hasn't kind of Lewis borrowed some of my ideas? So there was a degree of alienation, but actually... Uh, That relationship survived and Tolkien came back to actually play a very critical role in Lewis's life by, in effect, making sure that Lewis applied for a chair at Cambridge University and thus got out of Oxford, because life was becoming very, very difficult for Lewis at Oxford. And Tolkien thought rightly that if Lewis were to move to Cambridge University, he would begin all over again. And that proved to be right. So yes, that was a difficult friendship, but it's a friendship that survived and grew after the alienation. And in fact, Tolkien was one of the few people to attend Lewis's funeral.
0: Okay, so there was full reconciliation at the end there. C.S. Lewis had quite a close friendship with his brother. It was just the two of them as they were growing up. Would you say just a little bit about his relationship with his brother?
1: Well, Lewis grew up in this old house in Belfast um, with his brother. And it's obvious that the parents were away. Quite a lot of the time. And then, of course, Lewis's mother died. And so if the two brothers really found themselves playing in this old house, reading books, looking out of the windows, seeing the mountains in the distance. And actually, in, in his Autobiography, surprised by joy, Lewis does talk about the importance of his friendship with Warney, but also the way in which they triggered off imaginative journeys, the creation of imaginary worlds, the writing of books about these imaginative worlds. And you could say that in some ways that friendship, was the kind of nucleus around which both men's writing careers developed. Now, obviously, Lewis's own career was much more successful, but Warney also wrote books particularly about um, French history and was actually quite a significant writer in his uh, own right. But Lewis, I think, was always looking back to that time in Belfast. He almost like a, with a sense of nostalgia, you know, that was a safe place. And in fact, one of the reasons why he was so delighted when When his brother Warney moved back in with him um, in the 1930s was it recreated that environment of two brothers together in a house with books and they could begin to, in effect, start all over again. And this time, of course, through the Inklings, Lewis and his brother Warney were really the core elements of the Inklings to begin with.
0: Now, C.S. Lewis was friends with quite a lot of females. Some of those, well, a handful of those, turned into romantic relationships. We're hopefully going to talk a bit more about this in a later series. But would you just say something about those romantic relationships that C.S. Lewis had? Well,
1: Lewis... um had a very complex relationship with Mrs Moore, the mother of Paddy Moore, who was killed in the First World War. And Lewis seems to have almost treated that as being some kind of marriage. And he refused to have any romantic relationships while Mrs Moore was alive. And then when she died, which happened about 1950, uh, Lewis seems to have felt he was able to begin to see women not just as friends but perhaps more than friends and all Lewis's um, friends thought there's an obvious romantic attachment here in Ruth Pitter a very well known poet who admired Lewis in fact more than that who came to faith because of Lewis. And so they felt, look, here are two poets. So Lewis wasn't really a very good poet, but he wrote poetry. Uh, they, could, they could get to know each other. This could be a very, very exciting, but nothing came of that. But then, of course, Lewis met Joy Davidman here in Oxford. And um, Davidman had literary ambitions, was a very feisty, very engaging woman. And Lewis clearly saw something in, in her that really broadened him considerably. He was somebody who was very, very different from all his friends in Oxford, and some Someone who was interested in literary projects and had experience of editing. And so they had uh, some very important times together. For example, Till We Have Faces, I would say, is really a product of that friendship because uh, Joy Deverman showed Lewis how he could make this book work. Up to that point, Lewis just couldn't see how to make it happen. So that was quite an important relationship. And, of course, they fell in love and married. And then, of course, Joy developed cancer. So that became a tragedy for Lewis. But nevertheless, I think it was was very important in shaping him as a human being. It really brought home to him how important love was to the solidifying of a human life.
0: C.S. Lewis obviously had lots of Christian friends, the Inklunds, people like Tolkien who were very significant not only in his sort of final conversion to Christianity but also along the way were there people like that who were more inclined towards atheism that would challenge Lewis from from the opposite perspective as it were?
1: Well I think you're right to make that point, because Lewis did have many friends who were Christians. And in part that's because Lewis's notion of proper friendship means there has to be something that holds you together. And that would in Lewis's case be a love of literature, a love of Christianity. But of course, Lewis knew High Table at uh, Oxford colleges and Cambridge colleges, and so he was engaging with people who would take different perspectives from him. And sometimes these would lead to some really interesting outcomes. For example, he read a book about education, which he really disliked. <laughs> so he wrote this book, The Abolition of Man, which is a very significant critique of liberal understanding of human nature and hence the role of education. And that was sparked off by that kind of engagement with people. But we, we see that at many points where Lewis reads someone or talks to someone and in effect feels moved to write a short paper or something like that. And that, that's part of who Lewis is. He, he finds he is stimulated by people who share his views. He stimulated people who do not not share his views and it leads him to move on and um, develop his ideas either in response to those he thinks are right or those he thinks are wrong.
0: And do you think if there was a group of friends here who were thinking oh how do we cement our friendship or how do we get over this difficult patch that we're going through. Would C.S. Lewis have anything to say into that friendship circle today, do you think?
1: Well, Lewis has lots of things to say. One, one thing he said, which I think is really interesting, this is something he said to Arthur Greaves, is that he said that talking to friends really helped them to realise that when you were going through a difficult time, one of the best ways of dealing with it was to write done what you were feeling he says that the act of putting this into writing helped you cope with it and i find that very interesting because when i read lewis's correspondence you know i very often see him writing letters Basically, as a way of putting down what he's feeling and mm. beginning to deal with that. And that, that, I think, is really very important. Lewis found that by writing his thoughts down, perhaps in letters to his friends, he was able to begin to, to sort out the issue which caused him so much distress in the first place.
0: So quite a cathartic process.
1: It was cathartic. It was healing. It was almost a way of beginning to name the issues that Lewis was facing and, and articulate his solutions to them.
0: And I suppose he was very much in a letter writing culture and we're not so much now, but there's nothing to say that that couldn't be done verbally or through you know, a, Facebook, a closed Facebook group or something like that.
1: No, I think Lewis's point remains good that actually sharing your thoughts is a very important way of helping you to deal with both the thoughts themselves and also the events that kind of way triggered them off.
0: Now, we've, we've touched on quite a big topic there, friendship, looking at some of the key friendships, but also what C.S. Lewis thought about friendship. Where would be a good place if we wanted to find out a little bit more about what C.S. Lewis thought about friendship, who some of his close friends were, just unpack that a little bit more.
1: Well, I think the book that we naturally think of is The Four Loves because one of the loves that Lewis is talking about is friendship. And indeed, as I read that book, I, I have the impression that friendship is, is what really matters to Lewis, even though there are other things mentioned as well. And I think that gives you a very good idea of um, why Lewis thought that friendship was so important. Basically, you cannot get through life without friends. And what Lewis is trying to do is to is to identify what really matters about friendship, what you put into it, what you get out of it. I think it's actually very, very helpful to read that. And as you read that book, you very often you find yourself wondering, I wonder if he's talking about Tolkien there. Mm. I wonder if he's talking about, you know, Owen Barfield there. But he doesn't actually name people. It's much more exploring why friendship is so important and the difference it makes.
0: Alistair, thank you so much. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the second ever episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag CSLewisPodcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website cslewispodcast.com Over this first series of the C.S. Lewis podcast Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as education, suffering and the hope of heaven Next week we will be talking about Narnia and the importance of stories to C.S. Lewis